Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Recorded live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Big and Fruity, a podcast for people who like a glass of wine. Sit back, relax, pour out a glass of your favorite wine, and join our host, Mr. Dave AC, for the next hour, while we enjoy some nice wine. a good glass of red wine, your host, Mr. Dave AC. Hello and welcome everyone, welcome to another Tuesday night episode of the Big and Fruity, the Big and Fruity Wine Podcast. I'm your host, Dave AC, uh, here on the TalkShoe Call ID 112272. Uh, it's just 10pm here in the UK where I'm based, but this actual show is shown to be scheduled on the Touch You site, which is in the United States, uh, in the East in the United States, as going live at 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. As I said, call ID double one double two seven two. I've already put a few links in the room because each week I do mention some places where you can find the, you know, the Twitter feed and the blog and the, the Facebook page. But I'm um, hoping that if you listen to this show, you will perhaps go and listen back to some of the others. And I want to get straight on with today's content. Now, currently, there's just myself in the room at the moment. And uh, if that remains so, then we'll run the show for about 35 to 40 minutes. May go longer if we get uh, some input in the room. You can join me live here uh either in text chat or come on audio. Uh, I'll just give out one number, and that is the, the phone number, which is a US number. That is uh, 724-444-7444. It's uh, episode 83 today, and the topic is wine women. Now, every time I do these calls, uh, there are about three elements to it. Uh, one element is that I will always have a wine to hand that I will taste and comment on and uh, put a TwitPic link in the room so that you can see an image of what the bottle looks like should you decide that you want to seek it out. We then have a little short wine fact um, that's just um, you know a supplementary thing to the main topic. And then the actual episode itself has a main topic. <laughs> but don't get too excited. Uh, we have had these shows where I've run 40 minutes and we've not got up up to the main quote-unquote main topic until about 25 minutes in and perhaps only spent 10 minutes on it. But it's nominally the sort of the thrust of the day's show. And this particular one is wine women. But we have actually got a few other things that may take us a little bit off track. And I will explain about that in a moment. Yes, get your breath back, David. You're supposed to be relaxed. Well, I was relaxed, but we I had a slight um, discombobulation. There's my word for today. A slight discombobulation. Um, uh, as I was getting ready, what I do, by the way, of course, is on the uh, Twitter account. I have Big and Fruity. That's all one word. I tweet uh, an hour or so, sometimes two hours, prior to the show going live, just to remind people that uh, the show is on and should they care to join it. And that is done via when I put up the TwitPic page. And it's at that point I'm double-checking some of the links that I've searched for during the week. Yes, I do research for this program. Uh, I check that I have them on because uh, when I've, uh, I usually, when I'm doing a podcast, 
sorry, going off topic already, when I do a podcast, I uh, nearly always uh, reboot my PC so that um, you know you don't have any memory leakage on your computer. Uh, my computer's about 18 months old now, so it's still fairly uh, zippy, but I, I do prefer to have had shut down. I usually go off and have my tea, then come back, and then about half seven, uh, two and a half hours before the show, start to get things organised, and I usually then take a break of about half an hour prior to going live. The upshot of all that was that I was getting some more links for the wine that I will be drinking, and I will name it in a moment, uh, but came across some concern over this particular wine. And because of that, I ended up, um, although I'd opened it nearly two hours ago, I hadn't tasted it, but because of this concern, I did have a taste about an hour ago, and um, I will be uh, telling the story as we go forward. And it included me sending a little email letter off. And um, it also meant that I slightly changed how I will proceed today. I hope that's got you intrigued. But it's not all bad news. Uh, there is good news to be had. Okay, the wine uh, I am drinking today and the wine I chose is... Um, because the topic is wine women, I decided to choose one of the wines that I had in the house that is actually produced by a woman vintner, winemaker, uh, called Liz Richardson. She's one of the wine people. Uh, she's based in Australia, and she uh, sells her wine uh, through the Naked Wines Company. Remember, I don't work for those Um I'm just a satisfied com customer and about um, on these shows about maybe once a month one of the bottles that I drink and mention is a Naked Wines wine simply because that's where I get 50% uh, of my wines from um, and if they uh, are interesting and different I like to feature them. Now, as I say, I picked this wine because it was a uh, a lady wine maker, and the last time that I had her wine, I was over the moon about it. So when I was getting these links ready, I came across some concern about some of the bottles of this particular batch of wine had uh, been a disappointment. So I'm telling you this before I sip and taste it, um, because I don't want you to be put off this uh, lady producer and this wine label because uh, I have had great satisfaction with it before and I'm assured that this is just um, one small batch that seems to have hit a little bit of a problem. Okay, the wine is Liz, Liz Richardson. It's a blended wine of Shiraz and Lagren, which is an Italian grape, uh, 2012 wine of Australia, 14% and um, I think what we'll do this time is I'll put the TwitPic link in first um, so that if you're listening to the recording later you can pull this up pause me and pull this link up and it's all in small case it's twitpic.com forward slash ci7 dzd so all the letters are small case. Twitpic.com forward slash CI, the number 7, DZD. And uh, there you'll see um, uh, the bottle uh, that I take the picture of prior to today's show. 25 people have had a view of that there. And uh, this wine, by the way, from Naked Wines, it's um, £7.50. So we're talking about uh, an $11 bottle of wine. Um, and um, let me taste it, smell it and taste it again now and I will try and get across uh, what it is. It's not a totally unpleasant wine, but it is not, it's not um, presenting itself as the winemaker intended. So it is a, a, 
uh, obviously a red wine, and it's quite pale in colour, a very pale red. And on the nose, we're, we're getting light red berry fruit, but not in any great quantity. Let's have a little taste. I've only poured this half glass out. And the very first sensation you get, apart from the fruit, is a fizz on the tongue. There's a definite fizz on the tongue. And the body, the, the mouthfeel of this, and the lightness of the wine, it, it tastes for all intense purposes as though I was drinking, uh, say, a rosé. It's um, uh, like a... Well, you can get Shiraz, uh, rosé uh, Shiraz, um, and it tastes very much like that. There's no, there's no depth to it. There's no real structure. And, of course, because it's a red wine I'm drinking, it's at room temperature. I've got a feeling that if I'd have actually... Uh, and I may well do this tomorrow. I may just try it again. If I had put this in the fridge as though it was a white wine or a rosé and was tasting it, I might think it was a reasonably nice rosé. But it is not a full-bodied Shiraz. It hasn't got that dark blackcurrant fruit. It hasn't got the um, any um, structure to it. And as I say, the, the this unusual slight fizz on the tongue which seems to suggest that there has been uh, some secondary fermentation after the bottling process. So it's not a spoiled wine in the sense of it's uh, unpalatable. It's just totally out of character to uh, how the winemaker um, wanted it to be. And I know that, first of all, uh, having looked on the site to find out what the situation was, because I was just looking to see what other people have said about it, and I'll read a couple of those things from the Naked Wine site. But because I have had uh, this lady's wine before, her uh, Shiraz Langren from 2010, and I really loved it. Which, of course, is why I there was no more of the 2010 left, so this was why I ordered this along with some other bottles of wine. If uh, I were to go, let me see what sort of things have been actually said um, on the on the page, um, this is the the winemaker's page. Um, so it's very nice, but disappointed it wasn't heavier. Um, the um, I've got the uh, let me I've got so many pages open. Let me just go to here. Um, Ah, I've scrolled down to the bottom. That might... I was right down to the last comment. That probably makes sense. Um, just opened this bottle and wondered why this had a fist to it. Came in here. The same others have said the same. Uh, and somebody else has put... For, unfortunately, you have a duff bottle. It shouldn't be fizzy. It seems there's been some secondary fermentation uh, with uh, this wine. Contact Naked Wines. And I have indeed sent an email off and I fully expect to get a refund on this wine um, someone else put slightly acidic um, uh, not my style of wine might be better in the summer might even work slightly chilled and I think that's again they've got the same thoughts that I have after tasting this uh, but there are some people who loved it um, uh, another one I opened this bottle and lo and behold it was fizzy all that a sip can you please let me know why? I've experienced this wine before, um, but um, th they were clearly uh, flummoxed about it. Again, light and subtle with slight fizziness, which was a little disconcerting. So um, this is really not been a success, but I do have every faith in this lady as a winemaker. And just to show that, what I was doing prior to the recording is I, I remembered that I reviewed this and I've checked back on, on episode 22 of this very Big and Fruity podcast, uh, an episode that went out on the 24th of January 2012, 15 months ago. And uh, what I'm going to do is to play a little clip from that. Um, now, it's 
fairly early on, so I wasn't very good at giving tasting notes, but um, it will give you some idea of what I thought. This is a clip that runs for just over four minutes, but um, I wanted to express the fact that I think this is um, you know, uh, something that's happened to a particular batch of wine and not indicative of the skill of this winemaker. Okay, so episode 22, my top wine countries. But before that, let me tell you what I'm drinking. And I will do that by, first of all, putting a link in, numbers and letters in, and all the letters are in small case. So the URL is twitpick.com forward slash 8B8XLA. 8B8XLA. And you can use something called Chat Grabber to uh, find the show notes at, of, of this or any talks you call later. Just go to Google and put Chat Grabber in. When you get the Chat Grabber, you put in the show call ID number, in this case, double one double two seven two. And then if there's more than one show recorded, there's a drop down menu and you link to the episode number that you're interested in. Click on that and it will show you all the text that has been typed in during the course of the call, including these links that I put. Okay, what else? Well, let me have a taste of this wine, and let me even name it first. Now, this is a wine I've got from Naked Wines, and let me very quickly put the link in for that. I don't work for any of these companies. I just enjoy their wines. and uh, Well, I actually do work for Torchu part-time, but I don't work for naked wines it's www.nakedwines.com forward slash and the wine i am enjoying and i have just had a little sip of it so i can tell you it is scrumptious if you're a naked wines customer i think you ought to try and buy it it's liz richardson she's the winemaker and the wine has her name embossed across it it's 2010 and it's a blend of two grapes mainly Shiraz with Langrain. Now, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that word correctly. It's a, a grape that's new to me. It's L-A-G-R-E-I-N. And in actual fact, the wine fact part of today's show is going to be learning a little bit more about this grape, courtesy of a wiki page, the link of which I will put in chat in a few moments. But first, let me have a little smell. It's been poured out, oh, over an hour now, because as I say, I was uh, helping on another podcast. Oh, it's delicious. Black fruit. Uh, if you've ever had a sort of a, a trifle with forest fruits or something like that, or a, a, a an apple and blackcurrant fruit pie where the blackcurrants are really strong. It's that lovely, lovely smell. And I should say, I, di I didn't say, I should say, this is from southeastern Australia as well. Mm. And that is a lovely, lovely, very fruity Shiraz, really. And it's got mm, bags of character to that. Let's see what it says on the back of the bottle. It says, it's a big, rich, fully blend of Aussie Shiraz and a little-known Italian grape called La Grain to give it a little kick. I hope you enjoy it. Cheers, Lids Richardson. She says, uh, please do come back and tell me what you think about it at www.nakedwines.com forward slash Liz Richardson and I certainly will Liz, you've got a winner here. It's 14.5% um, and it is really, really nice. Uh, in fact, I'm going to stop talking and have a little sip. Mm. There is absolutely tons of depth in that. Ooh, lovely mouthfeel, lovely long finish. And... Um, those people listening to the recording later, uh, I hope the quality of that 
doesn't sound too bad. It sounds all right as I'm doing this show live, but of course, when you listen back to it, it will be um, a recording of a recording of a recording. Um, but um, uh, the reason I played it that is because I wanted to redress the balance there because it just shows you that you know I'd bought this wine because I was absolutely thrilled with it last time. Let me just read uh, one of the comments uh, from the 2010. This is from Kevin. This is one of the best wines I've had for many years. Full-bodied with blanks of fruit flavour, yet very smooth. Slips down rather too easily. Delicious. Um, and then somebody else, Matthew. One of my favourites. Shame it's out of stock. New vintages should be arriving soon, though. So, um, uh, that was why um, I've still mentioned about the wine, because I'd opened this wine, uh, and, and as I say, normally I don't taste... I have done on occasion, but out of the 80-odd episodes, over 70 times I've not tasted the wine until I actually come. Uh, sometimes the reason why I've tasted the wine is because it's a wine I've opened the, the day prior are on a couple of occasions, confession times, and I've mentioned it on the audio, so I'm not confessing any secrets, but what has happened is I've had something really nice for my evening meal that day and decided I just couldn't eat that pork chopper, whatever it happened to be, without having a glass of the wine with it. And certainly didn't want to open two bottles. In actual fact, um, uh, later tonight I'm going to finish off um, another bottle that I opened yesterday. And I'll just mention that because it's one of my uh, standby wines. And that is... Um, uh, and, and by the way, don't forget to go to the the, 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 the bottle that I've done. They, they have changed the labelling quite uh, dramatically. But um, the the one I've got here is um, Vina Albali that um, I'm going to finish off from yesterday when I was doing a cult and commentary. That's um, a sci-fi show that I'm the co-host of. But I'll just give you the URL for the picture of that bottle, uh, and that's twitpick.com forward slash C8PCUR. Twitpick.com forward slash C8, the number 8, at P-C-U-R. Um, and I'm going to put the top back on this uh, uh, Liz Richardson one. I'm going to put it in the fridge and I may try it and I may close my eyes and try and taste it as I'm drinking a, a chilled rosé tomorrow. But as I say, I, I'm expecting that I will get a refund from Naked Wines um, because um, they do have a very good customer service and I've been very pleased with them. Okay, so let me just get rid of uh, some of these many, many links that I've got open now so we can sort of clear the deck somewhat. And um, we've got our wine fact to go, 22 minutes in, our wine fact, and then our topic. Now, our wine fact, um, it, it, it follows on somewhat from last week's topic, which was about smell and taste debate. And we were talking about... Um, well, go and have a listen to it. But it was talking about... Uh, uh, obviously, um, about different people being super tasters and this, that, and the other. Now, this little clip uh, I've got is from another program uh, that was on BBC, but it was actually talking about food. But it made me think of a subject that I may well do on a uh, a future big and fruity in a couple of weeks' time. It was talking about DNA testing on food. And this is in the light of the scandal that's been going around by, uh, you know, finding horse meat in in foods. Not because the horse meat is unsafe to eat, but it's not declared as horse meat. It's, it, it, you know, it's in there, but not, uh, you know, mentioned. And um, the whole idea is that the weapon against this now is that they can do DNA, DNA testing. And, and I'm... I'm the reason why I'm playing this little clip and talking about it is that I think in a couple of weeks I'm going to do and look at some information and evidence about, you know, do we ever drink wine where it's actually an inferior grape that's been used, not the grape we think it has? Or indeed, are there ways in which, you know, the industry is trying to enhance the flavour of a wine, you know, artificially to try and elevate a fairly bog-standard grape to producing, you know, uh, by putting oak chippings in and this, that and the other to try and elevate it to a higher price band. So um, just to sort of set the scene for that, just want to play this little short, just over two-minute clip of this programme. 
The program is a UK program. It's called Bang Goes the Theory. It's series seven. This is a clip from episode five, and let me just read what the uh, the things uh, says uh, about it first. Um, with the recent horse meat scandal fresh in our minds, the team asks how much we really know about what's on our dinner plate, and we investigate the surprising world of food technology. So I'm thinking of, and of course they're using DNA. I'm thinking that application must be being used in policing, or checking, or trying to um, manipulate um, wine and how it is served to us. So let me play this. This is all about the, in fact, it's the first couple of minutes intro to the show itself. Welcome to Bangos the Theory, bringing you the science behind the headlines and tackling the issues that impact all of our lives. The discovery of horse meat in beef products earlier this year has prompted some serious investigations. It's also been a veritable feast for the headline writers. On the whole, it's a story of deceit. Someone, somewhere in the supply chain, passing food off for something that it isn't. And it has brought up a lot of questions about the food industry, making us all think more about what we're eating and where it comes from. But for answers, you need to look at the facts, and that's where the science comes in. So tonight, we're lifting the lid on food technology. Coming up, I investigate the invisible tricks used to keep our food fresh. Maggie finds out how science can add gourmet flavour to bland food. It's really got a nasty aroma, but it's required. You need to have it there to give you that nice fried steak aroma. And Liz discovers the weird things added to our food to keep it looking good. And what you get is this almost soapy material. And what this is designed to do is kind of the same thing that the egg does. That's Bango's The Theory on processed food. Recent news reports have really made us question what's in our food. I'm not that concerned about eating horse, but I'm concerned about the labelling issue. So if you buy something that says 100% beef, that's what you expect it to be. So there's definitely a trust issue there. The general public are fed up with being conned now, they, and they feel conned by the food manufacturers, and they're making a lot of money. Absolutely shocked, because if they can do that to food, they can put it, somebody else could put other things into food that we're not aware of. When it came to exposing the horse meat fraud, the forensic weapon in the limelight was DNA analysis. Without this technology, identifying minced horse meat in food would have been impossible. But the horse meat scandal is small in comparison to what goes on with fish. The Food Standards Agency has revealed that one in ten fish dishes are not quite what they seem. And yeah, and, and I'm not suggesting that uh, I'm going to open up any you know wine scandal because of course there are, as you heard at the beginning there, there was sort of the invisible ingredient that keeps uh, food fresh. Uh, what they were talking about there, by the way, is when you buy um, uh, you know salads, not just buy a lettuce, but you buy um, an actual mixed salad in a in a bag, and that bag you know you can't press it in because there's what seems to be air inside, but of course it's not actually oxygen air in there it's a it's a, a sort of a um a, an oxygen a low oxygen um atmosphere in there uh, and that's to prevent the salad from going off in a day or so uh and that's why it stays fresh for maybe up to a week before you get it of course once you open it you tend to open it and eat it if you try and keep it more than a couple of days the lettuce soon wilts I mean, similar things are done with wine for people now who, who who like to drink the wine over two, one or two days. You can get these special corks where um, are things where you can inject uh, a little bit of um, neutral gas in the top of the bottle and then put the stopper back on to keep oxygen away from the wine so it doesn't um, age as quickly. So it may it may survive uh, three or four or five days rather than the one or two days. So. We'll do that. Uh, I'm not sure whether we'll do that in a couple of weeks. We've already got the topic set up for episode uh, 83, uh, sorry, 84 next week. That's on the 16th of April. And we're doing that delayed topic. I've delayed it once already. I don't want to delay it again. Uh, we're talking about new countries, new labels. 
in specifics what we're going to be doing. The new country is that I'm going to be drinking a wine from a country I've not had wine from before. So that's new. Uh, and then the actual main focus will be on labels. Uh, for instance, just looking back to this list, Richardson, uh, this wine, the 2012, uh, take apart the fact that this is a particular faulty bottle, but if you look at this bottle, the Twitpic image I mentioned earlier, that you probably hopefully had a look at, and the Twitpic image for the 2010, same wine uh, in effect, totally different design of label and so on. And so we're going to talk a little bit about things like that. So uh, there we are. <laughs> David, 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 uh, it's just a few seconds short of 30 minutes. So I think we better uh, get on and talk about uh, wine women, women in wine. And um, we've got... Um, let me um yeah i i was i was going to spend some time talking about the langren grape again but i actually remembered while i was playing that clip um i in fact editing that bit of clip out from episode 22 that, that we did actually talk a little bit about it but um if i can very quickly um find it there was um well if you look on wikipedia uh, you can find it. Let me just spell how that uh, grape is spelt, by the way. That might just help you. And it is L-A-G-R-E-I-N. Um, and um, it, it grows in New Zealand, uh, but it's I think it's an Italian grape. And um, there we go. Uh, just realized i think we've got one more link that i should have had prepared and i think what i'll do is i'll carry on and uh, just check ah that was it um just to say that um if you are interested in women winemakers on a general sense and you are on facebook uh, there is a facebook uh, like page for them uh, and obviously, it's simply www.facebook.com forward slash women wine makers. So um, check that out. And um, yeah, there's definitely another one that I'm looking for, but I, I will give that a miss at the moment. And we'll go to the um, the main one I've got. Um, Women are certainly becoming uh, more and more influential in wine. It's one of those industries where they can reach the very top of the profession. Uh, I remember only uh, a couple of weeks ago on one of the episodes, I played um, a clip of um, the the wine programme with um, Oz Clark, uh, where they went to um, uh, you know the Napa Wines uh, area, and they talked to the uh, the the Gina Gallo, the uh, the woman that's the granddaughter of Gallo that actually is in charge of one of the the biggest wine empires going. Um, I'm just remember, trying to remember which episode it was that I, I played that clip, but certainly on one of my previous episodes. But um, of the most 50 most powerful women in wine, and let me put the URL in here and read it out. Got myself slightly in a twist there, so let's get back on, back on target, back on Dalek. Um, it's www.thedrinksbusiness or one word dot com forward slash 2012 forward slash 12 forward slash, and then this is all with dashes in between. 50, sorry, top 50 most powerful women in wine. 10, one. Um, but if you put um, top 50 most powerful women in wine, uh, you'll find that if you put that in Google. And right at the top of the tree, and um, I'm certainly going to go all through 50, but we'll just pick a couple out. Gina Gallo. Let me just read a little bit about that. Age 45. Um, topping our list of Gallo family vineyards, chief winemaker Gina Gallo, uh, founded in 1933 by Ernest and Julio Gallo, uh, her great uncle and grandfather. Uh, it's grown to become the world's largest privately 
uh, it's going to become the world's largestly private bottles drunk in the US and it's Gallo's owned. The company sold 75 million cases of wine last year alone. I thought that was going to be it in all time. 7% up on 2010. So these are the figures from 2011. Dwarfing the second place, uh, which comes in at just under 30 million. Uh, she's at the forefront of brand wine making uh, in the US and UK. She also spearheaded uh, launches of their low alcohol sweet lines, uh, wines. Uh, and then it goes on to some personal information uh, about the lady herself. Um, and then if we, it's one of these where you can step back. You know, I start at the 50th one and work up. Uh, I've gone straight to the top because I'm certainly not going through those. Now, second most um, influential is um, Janice Robinson, who I haven't mentioned before. Um, she's been a long-time uh, wine taster, wine critic, and so on. Uh, let me just read a little bit about her. Age 62, infatigable wine writer Janice Robson, um, a power in the consumer markets around the world, is omnipotent as ever. She exerts her influence via a weekly wine column in the Financial Times and the Purple Pages website, which boasts over 80,000 subscribers while her tasting notes appear on Eric Levine's hugely successful wine review website, sellertracker.com. With well over 160,000 Twitter followers, Robinson further strengthened her online credentials last October by hiring vinography.com blogger Alvi Yarrow to report on the US wine scene. Her influence in Asia is cemented last year with a sellout tasting at the Wine Future Conference in Hong Kong. And as we know, that's where everything is happening in the upper echelons on the wine market now, with the new emerging wine middle class from China. Uh, uh, their, their demand for high-quality French wine um, shows no sign of abating. Let's go to number three and... Um, I don't know how many of these I should go through, but um, at number three, we've got Annette Alviris-Peters, age 50. Her post as the director of wine buying for a retailer, Costco, makes her one of the most powerful wine buyers in the world, Respected, uh, sorry, responsible for influences hundreds of thousands of consumer palates. They're the largest U.S. importer of French fine wines and the fifth largest retailer in the U.S., in charge of over $1 billion in wine sales a year, including fine wines such as Chateau, Mouton, Rothschild, and Petrus. This uh, Alvarez Peters caused a storm in the wine glass when she declared that wine was just a beverage and no different than toilet paper. Uh, obviously, in the way that uh, the mass market does this. Um, we'll go. Uh, I think we'll go to. We'll, we'll do two more. We'll go to uh, number four and five. I think um, uh, at number four, we've got Baroness Philip de Rothschild, age seventy-nine. Um, let me put her. Her uh, the majority of her time is spent looking after Mouton Rothschild, where a lifelong interest in the art has led her to commission some of the world's greatest masters to design the Mouton label each year. Oh, David, what a nice segue that is. We're talking about labels next week, uh, including the likes of Picasso, Dali, Warhol, Chagall, and Miro. And more loose, recently, Lucian Freud and Ashish Kapoor. Uh, now, that is something that we will try and remember, David will try and remember for next week. So, in actual fact, I think I want to stop with her because uh, that is a great segue for for next week's topic, um, from this particular page, anyway. Um, let's go to um, uh, another couple of pages. Um, here's, here's a page from www, and I'm putting these links in the room, by the way, although they're a bit difficult to read out. This is from junowines.com, and um, 
there's a lovely page here that they have um uh honoring women art and wine uh, be enticed by juno and share the pleasures um and it's got an article here about um women in the wine industry so again let me just read uh, and mention uh, a couple it's got um what uh, five one two four of uh, who they see as very influential people in the wine industry uh, uh, now I think I'll I'm going to leave that and let you see how relevant you think that is that might be more of a, a stylistic uh, thing it's actually using women and honouring women in the art on the labels. I think actually when I think about it, that was a, a link, trying to cover his mistake here, I think that was a link I had ready uh, for when I do go on to this uh, other topic at a later day. Okay, I am going to quickly skip over that. Yes, that was actually another in the related wine label basically that wasn't honoring people in the wine industry now that was honoring women on the labels of their bottles of wine so i'm going to quickly move along move along um this is um policy mic policy mic and it's an article if women can take over the wine industry what can't they do and then let me just read a little bit uh, from here, just a paragraph or two, and hopefully you will go and check out the site. And that is um, here. Um, there are many traditional main-dominated industries around. Construction jobs, mechanics, electricians, even finance, although that is changing. One job area that usually isn't first to spring to mind is the wine industry. But it's certainly dominated by men, a tradition that goes back a very long time. The history of winemaking extends back thousands of years. So we've got all this background. But yet recently, there appears to be an upward trend in the amount of women in the male-dominated world of winemaking. New York Vintners hosted a class in March on badass women winemakers. I can hear April laughing if she's listening to this. Badass wine women winemakers, highlighting the various female-owned vineyards and companies. Some of the women featured include uh, uh, Natalie Druet, who moved her family's winery from France to New Mexico. Uh, Lynn Penner-Ash, one of Oregon's first wine fem female winemakers. Elizabeth uh, Foradori, a single mother of four who runs an Italian winery near the Dolomites. And it goes on to talk a little bit about that. I also wanted to mention uh, people that I know, I mean, from Virgin Wines. One of the winemakers, when I went to that Virgin Wine tasting, always go and see her table. Although I think she was pretty busy when I went past it this last time, so I didn't get to speak to her, is Nika Allison. Um, and this is um, the link here is virginwines.co.uk forward slash wine zone forward slash winemakers, forward slash Nicola dash Allison. And um, she's Welsh born and bred, but moved to Australia in, uh, in 1989. Um, she's a GP by training and she practiced in Auckland, New Zealand before moving to France to run her parents' winery, Chateau de Soule. And I talked before about the lovely dessert wine that she does. And on those Flickr pictures I put up, you can see a picture of her wine. And so she's got a, a lot of influence there. Uh, and, of course, uh, she works with her husband on that. Another one is, um, remember, the, um, the, the winemakers, the wine brands, um, the other talks you cite that I've talked about. And let me just get the URL for that. Uh, I should have had that one ready. But prior to me doing this Big and Fruity wine podcast, I used to help uh, Randolo on the um, the other wine podcast on top, well, more than one wine podcast on Torture, but the other very dominant one, and that was, um, where's it gone? 
uh, new wine consumers wine brands and that although it's changed its name it's still got the same torture id 11888 it's now called tasters tv uh, and they've done about the virtual wine fair and so on but if you check back to the older episodes those were the ones where his wife uh, Evelyn Resnick uh, was joining us on that and she of course is a wine writer uh, and uh, well respected in the industry that's www.winebrandsblog.com um, brought out of course her uh, wine book of the wine industry uh, on wine brands um, Huh. I'm just looking at her wine uh, brands blog now. She's got it in two, by the way. There's a French version and an English version. Uh, and her latest... Uh, is that the latest one? I don't think that's the latest, but I, I've just come across one. It must be where I actually um, had it referenced, and that is, um, is pink the new wine colour? It's got this bright pink bottle of wine there, but that seems to be an older link. Wow. Brilliant. Um, so um, let me just, um, I think I had one more link that I wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. No. No, I've lost it. Uh, I'll very quickly have a look. But um, while I, I look, I'll try and see if I can do two things. We've been going for 45 minutes anyway, so it's probably a good time to close. So uh, episode 84 next week is on the 16th of April at 5pm Eastern Daylight Time. That's 10pm for those of you in the UK. It's new countries, so I'll be drinking a wine for new country, and I'll be talking about label designs. Um, uh, and if I find it between times, I'll, I'll look up this other link. It was another link about the uh, five top women in the wine industry. I think they were a very definite overlap with that uh, 50 top wine uh, people that I uh, read the first few out from. But the whole point is that this is uh, an industry where uh, women are definitely coming to the fore, both in the wine tasting, in the marketing, in the actual running their own vineyards, and actually uh, designing labels and, and influencing the market as a whole as wine writers. Wink Launch, that was another one of the names, although not directly in the wine market itself. Uh, she produces wine tourist um, uh, booklets and so on. So there's an awful lot happening. As I've said before, um, the people in the wine industry are very progressive. Though the traditionalists in, in their, their techniques, they are very keen to adopt new um, new things certainly via the internet and so on there we are and i've found it i've stalled long enough to find it we will we'll do this we'll stay because i wanted to deal with this and um here it is uh the link is and we'll finish in in a few minutes i won't spend long on it but i wanted to get this out there it's greatwinenews.com forward slash and again all with dashes six women Prove wine isn't just for the boys. <clears throat> so if you put that in Google, six women prove that wine isn't just for the boys. Uh, and this is by Pamela Jacobs, a wine enthusiast. Uh, doesn't seem to be dated, but uh, let me just read a little bit of it and please go and check what this lady uh, has written. Um, Women, women's History Month may be coming to a close, but these women are worth honouring all year round. Wine enthusiasts tapped these superstars of the wine industry to find out what inspired them to pursue their path. Uh, and I will just um, name them, and then perhaps you will go and read. Uh, the grower is uh, Karen Cakebread of Ziata, that's Z-I-A-T-A, Zata Wines in Napa Valley, California. Um, then there's Bibandi. Oh, why do I, I can't pronounce the name? I'm sorry. Uh, another winemaker, uh, Gonzalez's Rave from uh, California. I'm sorry, I can't pronounce that name. Um, a sommelier, 
Alpanta. That's A-L-P-A-N-A Singh uh, from Chicago. The retailer, Roberta Morell from Morell & Company, New York City. And the sales and marketing director, Jasmine Hirsch from Hirsch Vineyards, uh, Samantha uh, Coast, California. And um, again, my pronunciation is absolute rubbish. Oh, one more. The importer, Christina uh, uh, Martiana May from Banfi Vintners, Old Brookville, New York. Absolute apologies to those for the way I've read those names out. But please go and check out Great Wine News and the article Six Women Prove Wine Isn't Just for the Boys. And with that, I think uh, uh, discretion is the better part of valour. And I think I might just end at the 50-minute mark now. So go and seek out that content. Read up about these great women that are doing fabulous things. And uh, as I say, list which some wines. She's got some other wines on Naked Wines. Um, the Cabernet that she does, I believe, is excellent as well. And uh, I just seem to have got um, one little batch that has had this secondary fermentation issue. But um, with that, I'm going to end with my pod safe outro and hope you'll join me again on the 16th of April for episode 84. This is Dave AC saying thank you for listening and bye for now. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.